Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Need to hydrate but tired of plain old water? You need rebellious infusions. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. 10 organic flavors and convenient liquid packets. Just add 16 ounces and you are on your way. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hi, this is Trent Clark, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, international speaker, longtime coach and professional baseball coaching in three World Series. And welcome to the Winners Find a Way show with my special guest, Corey Proctor. Corey, how are you, man? How you doing, Trent? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited to have you on board. It's been a while since you and I have chatted. It's, I don't remember how long it's been, but it's been a little bit. So a lot, a lot's taken place since. I think we all lose time in the pandemic, right? We just all lose track of time of like where we were at, when, and all that good stuff. So super excited to have Corey on. For you, your first time joining the show, this is the Winners Find a Way show. This is what the show is about. I'll ask you the question. Have you ever faced stiff adversity? Felt like the losses are mounting and you need to find a better way. Well, I think you came to the right place. Whether you were already an entrepreneur, an athlete, a business leader, or working to start your journey today to being elite, this is the perfect show for you and the perfect podcast because we talk to one percenters. They talk about the challenges they faced along the way, the things, the hurdles they had to overcome, and they always deliver on some high quality nuggets and Corey Proctor will be no different. I'm super excited. For those who have questions on our live feed, please put them in the chat. I'll try to get to some questions for Corey last 10 or 15 minutes. So please do that. Corey, first tell them where they can find you online. How do they get a hold of you? If someone says, hey, I want Corey Proctor to come speak. I want him to do my wealth management. How does someone call and follow and find you? I do a lot of social media. So you can see me at, at Corey Proctor on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook too. I don't accept all Facebook requests. So if you're just a, a weirdo trying to come at me, but you can find me, CoreyProctor.com as well. I'll keep some speaking videos and engagement stuff there. And then if you're looking for wealth management stuff, you can check out ProCapitalTX.com. That's my company for capital wealth management. So you can always check out those pages. Perfect. So here I will start the show off with a few highlights of Corey Proctor. Corey is a former NFL li offensive lineman in the National Football League. And I think he had about six years in that league. Is that right? Yep. You've been a professional speaker. Uh, you have transitioned from your NFL career to the founder of Pro Capital Wealth Management where I want to hear about more about some people you represent there. Authentic bottom to top success story, which I can't wait to hear, right? Now protecting in sports, but now protecting assets. So still delivering levels of protection as that offensive lineman, which I love. Developed expertise, delivering a purpose-driven portfolio designed to achieve your goals. And as a former U of Emmer, right? And I know when you think U of M, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Wolverines, right? No, no, no. You're thinking Maryland Terrapins. No, no, no. You're thinking Missouri Tigers. I'm thinking the University of Montana, the mighty Grizzlies. Is that right? Go Grizz. Go Grizz. You know, it's an NFL hotbed out there in Montana. You know that, right? What, is that, that's in that, yeah. Bozeman, right? No, it's not in Bozeman. Oh, what in Billings. About? No, what is, come on. 
Missoula, Montana. Oh, it's in that. Missoula. Oh, a lot of good towns right there. A lot of a lot of three good Montana towns right there. Is there a school in Bozeman? Montana State is over there. Oh, it's a, it's the a bad, rival. It smells a little bad over there. It's kind of a puke, <laughs> yeah. puke green color. You know, they don't like it very much. They're no grizzly country. So tell me a little bit. Okay, and also, let's finish. You are a uh, security investment advisory services offered to Woodbury Financial Services. You're a member. Obviously, you have all your licenses for being a certified financial planner, correct? Yeah. Awesome. So... Tell me a little bit about, this is what I'm dying to hear. Because, you know, there are not a ton of University of Montana Grizzlies in the NFL. Is that right? Not a bunch. That's what I say. They've gotten more these days. Really? They've turned out some more guys, but there's not a ton. I mean, it's- What year did you come out of Montana? My last season, my senior year was 2004. Okay. That, was, that nice. year we lost in the finals, the national title. My freshman year, we won it. Uh, national title beat Furman. My senior year, we lost to James Madison. They got their run game going and just and take, took the clock over. So had a good team, had a great year, a lot of wins. Had like a, I don't know what it is now, but at the time we had like a 93% win percentage at our home stadium. You don't go to Missoula and come out a victor, huh? Is that the deal? No, it's rare yeah. somebody comes in and wins there. It's the den, right? Well, they never call it the den, but we have like, it's called Washington Grizzly Stadium from, uh, I, I forget who the donor was. The guy, something, his last name was Washington that helped donate okay. to build the thing. But I want to say they're up to like 29,000 in ability, close to 30,000 ability to hold seating. So one of the loudest, they're really awesome, but their east end zone are kind of no, known for being the crazies. And so yep. what we would have guys down, if we get back down in the end zone where defense was on the goal line with the offense trying to come out, Almost always would they would get them to jump off sides because they couldn't hear the scent ever. Oh. So it was really good. It's awesome. So and you were a center there? Guard and tackle, mostly tackle. Okay. So, see, see, I flip flops a lot all over the place. I think freshman year as a right tackle, then with the left guard, back to right tackle from a coaching stat change, and then with the left tackle. So, so you were obviously a big selection to get to the combine. They sought you out. They knew, hey, this guy out of Montana can play, or how'd that go? No, I didn't go to the combine. I didn't get that invite. No, I uh, coaches like me a lot at Montana. I've always been a, a really great worker and smart and where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. And so they helped talk me up a little bit to scouts that would come in from teams. And so I, I did my pro day. I did prep for that. My numbers have never been anything insane, I guess, being an athlete, but they were enough to get you on a team or get you a look or some eyes at least. And so didn't get invited there, didn't have my pro day where they like my play or could at least get in a shot camp with a team. So that's, that's where it started. That's where it started. And yeah. so did you, were you selected in the draft? No. Undrafted. Free agent undrafted. and decided, like, was Dallas the one to give you the flyer? No, I went to Detroit first. I was I was about as low as the totem pole can get. I was the totem pole that was buried <laughs> hey, in the dirt. Watch <laughs> my Lions now. Are you saying the Lions are the low man on the totem pole? No, I'm talking about when it comes to draft order. I was way down there because they projected me highest going the sixth round. And so that didn't happen. And, you know, we're waiting around talking with teams and and I just laugh because, you know, everybody kind of expects that. Like, all right, you know, how was your experience going to the combine? Or how was your experience getting drafted? And I'm like, that wasn't an experience for me. So it didn't happen. So it's kind of, that's why I say the, the totem pole, one that's in the ground, I'm the base of that. I'm the foundation. So, so anyways, I didn't get drafted. And when, when we came out, second day of the draft, you know, you kind of get an option on some teams. And they came down to Atlanta, Detroit, Dallas. 
And Dallas had drafted a lineman, Rob Petiti, I think it was the fifth or sixth round. And Atlanta or Detroit, uh, we're looking pretty good. But Detroit ultimately was what my agent thought would be the best opportunity to make the team. And so try to go where, you know, there's not a draft pick where you, there's spots available to grab potentially. And, you know, where hopefully you're trying to gauge if players there are like bubble guys, essentially, like, can they be beat? And so, and so that's why we chose Detroit. Now I ended up getting cut, put on the practice squad, was there for the season until Dallas picked me up. But it was a great place to play. A lot, a lot of good people. Right now, Dan Campbell's the head coach over there. We were together yeah. in Dallas and in Miami. And so I love him to death. I hope he kills it right now. Yeah, I'm super excited. They mic him up, right, in these early practices. And I just love listening to the guy, right? He's pretty hardcore. Like, he's old school. He wants the energy. He wants intensity. I just appreciate it. It's kind of what I expect to be, you know, football, right? Like, it's what I expect. I'm- he's good. He's, he's a guy that want, you want to hang around a lot. So he's okay. kind of infectious in his energy like that. That's cool. And then... So you're on this practice squad over in Detroit. You're going through there. How do you land with the Cowboys? We had uh, Steve Mariucci was our head coach at the time, and we were not doing well. We sucked as a football team. And so we got we got smacked by Atlanta on Thanksgiving. He ended up getting let go, I think, the next day. That next Tuesday night, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Dick Duron. I think it was him, but some him or somebody else took over as the interim. And that next Tuesday night, we were over at Chris Chelios's place. We were there a bunch. He was the captain for the Red Wings at the time, the hockey team. And yep. over sitting at his place, and I get a call from my agent about nine o'clock. Said, "Hey, Dallas is interested in picking you up. We're going to let the, the Lions counter or match it at least first right of refusal. So that the Lions would match my pay, but they wouldn't put me on the roster like Dallas would be able to do if I if I flip that switch. And so mm-hmm. we ended up going to Dallas because you know now we're looking at making a playoff they didn't end up we didn't make, make playoffs that year but they were they had a 10-win season going or potential going and we're in the running and so made the flip to dallas and they were interested in me so they picked me up the last five games of the season and they, they said they had we knew they had interest during the draft but it was good i went to uh, detroit at the time because i needed that time on the practice squad i needed to, i was a guy that needed time in practice to adjust to these bigger guys to these bigger bodies and just pace in the nfl to be honest and, ha- and yeah, how to handle, sure. handle that that life and so i needed that so that was crucial for me coming into dallas and being able to do well here so that's what happened but they called up they wanted to talk and all of a sudden, you know, 9 p.m. I'm at Chris Chelios's place in Detroit and I'm on a 6 a.m. flight next morning. It happens fast. That's pretty awesome. Now, let me ask you, I mean, was tell us the most important pivot point you had as a kid when you knew like, hey, I'm destined. I'm going to or at least wanted to be in the NFL. Like, this is what I want to do. Like, I love this. I think I've got what it takes. Tell me, is there a moment that you decided like, this is what I'm going for? I mean, to be honest, I never had that. I'll have my, I remember my stepmom, she would say like, I remember you saying you wanted to play in the NFL. I'm like, man, I don't even remember saying that. But I mean, I love football. I love what it gave me. And obviously I was from Washington State and Seattle area. So the Seahawks were kind of my jam at the time. And then I got to meet Brian Habib, which was a guard. I was at a high school camp at Western Oregon University where Matt Bledsoe coach was the head coach at. Well, his son was Drew Bledsoe. So he had Drew and Brian Habib come in and just kind of pictures with the guys. And so it's funny. I actually had this picture of me, Brian and Drew. And then I actually got to play with Drew and the Cowboys when I got picked up here. 
I gave him that picture and he didn't like it at all because it totally made him feel old. But, you know, I never really had that moment. Like I was kind of like we had some crazy stuff growing up, you know, folks split, we move around a whole lot, bounce around to a lot of different schools. And sports ended up being a place where I could have a team or more of a family place to go to, to blow some steam off and, and to keep me from getting into bad stuff. And so that's what it ended up being born at. Then as I started getting attention from the next level of recruiting, that's when things started becoming the sophomore year when my, our head football sat me and another guy down and he handed me a letter from the University of Oregon and say a recruiting letter and said, Hey, you have a real opportunity. You have potential. You have the ability to do this. And so I get all excited and he's kind of a forewarn you guy. He goes, Yeah, but a lot of people have that. Not very many get it. And so all of a sudden that seed was planted where I could do that. And I just went and fought for it. Well, the same thing happened at Montana freshman year where all of a sudden you see a scout or two show up to practice. Well, that's pretty cool. And then I go and watch our pro day at Montana. And at the time we had a guard Thatcher's delay, big, strong, burly mountain guy who he went undrafted also. But he had teams coming and looking at him and a couple of other of our guys at the time. And I just went and watched it. And so that was one of the times, that was the time really where I was like, man, maybe I could do that. It, it wasn't anything like I'm going after this. I guess maybe my senior year of playing ball when somebody told me I couldn't do it. That's probably when I was like, screw you, watch me, you know? And yeah. so, but there wasn't a time when I was a kid. And, I, and that's probably a good thing because I had so many other ancillary pieces in my life that were just kind of pulling attention away from it. And so team ended up being just a good family place. I could go and blow steam off where I just love being. I love working out with the guys. I've always loved being in the locker room. I always love that, that chill time. I love that because it was just a home to me. I don't want to burst the bubble like I knew I was going to go this way. Yeah, right. But, you know, I never knew. I knew I was going to be attracted to football or to sports for sure because you gain a respect or you gain a, re a different kind of relationship when you work with somebody. And typically what happens, right, you can't force relationships. But if you and I are working together and I see that you're a similar or a hard worker, or you're a guy that just goes busts his balls, you know, that's an attractive piece. And so if I, if same thing happens now in work. If I see somebody that goes and kills it, I want to, I like those people. I want somebody who's willing to go swing the bat and go bust their hump for their family themselves. And so those were the kind of guys that naturally respect started taking place. And when that respect took place, usually a friendship came from it. And so that's why some deep friendships came from the football team was because you got used to working with these awesome guys that had just a deep level of intensity that not a lot of people can match. That's what was the best. That's awesome. So let's talk about, I love the quote from Chris McChesney and Sean Covey. They wrote The Four Disciplines of Execution. Good book. The quote goes, winners, when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win. I love that. I love the idea that that's sports, right? That's sports yeah. in a nutshell. Like no one wants to lose, right? You got to get more prepared. We got to find a way what's going wrong. And we quick to go to the video, right? We love it. So let's talk a, a little bit of your background that allowed you to overcome things along the way, become one of those one percenters of, you know, people that make it to the NFL. So can you think of a time like you were up against it, losing and found a way to come back and win down, but not out? If somebody, you were to look back on your life, you'll find lots, right? Uh, a bunch of little ones, a bunch of big ones. And I tell you, like many athletes, like a lot of athletes, you know, when you make it to that level, or even after high school, a lot of, a lot of these younger kids go through this type of stuff where you have a full intent on going to college and playing ball. Or you have a full intent on going, maybe you don't get the interest or maybe something happens where it just causes you to go otherwise. And, but you go to this, 
you kind of go to this empty place, like what now? Mm-hmm. And when I was playing ball and I wish I had some things, behaviors or things that I did differently, but you know, when I was playing ball, I never expected, I got hurt with the Dolphins, never expected on, on not coming back and went and rehab and trained and did all that stuff to try to come back. It just never happened. And so to kind of come to grips with, this is not my life anymore, or at mm. least it's not a part of my life anymore. It's kind of a, a real place to go to. And it's almost like a divorce, right? It's like a death in the family where I got to deal with this. Like, this is weird. I've never, you know, it's kind of like losing. You're in the playoffs. You fully expect to win the playoff game. Yeah. And you lose yeah. and you're like, what? Wait. <laughs> this what just like, happened? You're like, all right, yeah. last second physicals, you know, on Monday. And you're like, wait, but what do we do now? And like, everybody yeah. goes home and plays video games. You're like, this is yeah. not. I don't do this. And so, but you're reached with this place where, and for a lot of people, they find themselves in this transition place. And it might be a loss of a job. It might be a divorce. It might be a death of, of a person. It might, it might be some sort of transition. It might be a move, right? You don't know what's going on cross country or a deployment overseas. It might be some transition place where you're kind of sitting there like, what do I do? And you're faced with this moment where you have to take action with your life. And that's a hard place to be, especially for athletes or military guys is why we get along so much is we've had people that have created our itineraries for us this whole time and they've mapped out our lives. And when we got to do it now, it's uh, it's kind of like deer in headlight look. And the problem is, and I posted this yesterday and I got it from somebody else that I, I really love is when you stand still, why, what, what happens in a, in a standing body of water, like a pond? You know, if the, if, the, if the water isn't recycling or it's not moving like a river, but in a standing body of water that has no movement or recycling taking place, it starts developing scum on top of it. Yeah, right. And so what happens if you stand in one place, you start becoming scummy. And it's scummy in your own thought processes, in your behaviors, and out of your mouth. And all of a sudden, you start per- turning into a prick. You have a bad attitude. And what comes from that? All the things that now from that scum place because of you standing still and not driving forward on anything, you now have turned into the scumbag and now scumbag stuff starts coming with it. Now my wife doesn't like me. Now my now my children think I'm a jerk of a dad and or now my boss doesn't like me. I'm like, you're not driving, you're not doing anything anymore. And yep. so all those things start happening. Meanwhile, I start taking the victim mentality. I'm like, well, you don't know me. He doesn't get me. And this was wrong the whole time. All these things, you go down this horrible, crappy place. And so, and it's merely because you stopped moving. And so that, that happened in my life. I mean, I, when I had that, I'm not a guy that stops moving, but all of a sudden when I had my, I ruptured my patella tendon in Miami, ended up having seven surgeries after that. And I'm on this place where I'm on the couch forever. I was like, what do I do, right? I'm on painkillers. I'm doing all this stuff. And thank God that I had my wife who ended up being a, a foundational figure for me to hold on to. And, and she ended up injecting faith into our relationship and, and bringing that, which was huge because all of a sudden I could start hearing messages. I could start reading again and my personal growth started happening. So instead of me standing still, just watching TV and not growing and, and building myself at all, now I started adding weaponry mm. to my system. And so because I started moving, I mean, hard things happen. I lost my nephew to cancer during that period. That hurt it. You put a real big thing up, middle finger up to God at that point with some of those things. Yep. And meanwhile, we have a new baby that I got to be a dad to. I'm, I was in a job that I didn't want to be at. And, and so I was a boss that I didn't like. And so 
you know, I'm in this place where it's like I, easy to go down this bad attitude, but because faith flipped me around, thankfully, Megan, my wife was the catalyst piece. You know, I could go into this development area where God could work on me. And all of a sudden I started eating and consuming. what started out as an assignment turned into all of a sudden a way of life. And so all of a sudden I started eating and consuming like nobody's business. And because I started filling the proverbial cup, I was overflowing with information and stories and powerful revelation and all these awesome things that made my value skyrocket to people around me. And all of a sudden, that's when opportunity showed up. And it was crazy. But that, those were my load times. That was a big load time for me was we had somebody pass after football trying to identify who I'm supposed to be. And thankfully, had the right people around me. And that's what I would encourage out of that one is make sure you got good people around you. Yes. If you don't, you need to ditch them. Good people around you to get you out of that scum spot. And when you do that, and you start moving forward, that propels the motion to continue to move forward and gain speed. And so all of a sudden, you know, I got, I have times where I have to slow myself down because I got to remember what I'm fighting for. I'm not like fighting, trying to beat feet in my job all day. I'm trying to fight for my family. Right. And so, so anyways, that was a tough time for me coming out of football that I was able to push through, thankfully having people with me because I didn't stop. It didn't stop me long enough to become a scumbag with so many people do. Well, I think it's very interesting for just the general public who doesn't understand this scenario. Because from the outside looking in, it's like, wow, you're a pro athlete. Everything's going all well. And now you've made some money. This should be an easy transition. And you were a college kid. Like, you got to your senior year. So you're either degreed or you're close. This isn't like, hey, I quit and started playing sports at 16 and soccer around the world. And I don't have any education, right? But you've been doing this since you're, you know, you're 10 years old and it's your tribe. And then they say, you can't be a part of this tribe anymore and do what you've always woke up and done and trained and all those things. And that's a huge shift. That's a huge shift of the mentality, right? And listen, we do see it in modern day. I mean, we just saw it in COVID, right? Someone who's been on a role with an organization for 20, 30 years. And they said, listen, uh, it's tough times. So we got to make a change. You got to go do something else. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, I, I do this. Like, this is what I do. And they're like, yeah, yeah. no, well, you, you might have to do it somewhere else or just go do something else. And that's like, it's a shock to your psyche. Like, and it's like, man, and it's not. And, and the way you describe it is exactly it, right? Like, what, what do we do if we don't move? We drink. We're going we're gonna to find some things, which leads to we make some poor choices and which leads to pretty bad consequences, right? And then it's like, oh, well, these consequences aren't fair. It's not, it, I shouldn't be getting that. And that victim mentality dives in. And it, it's a terrible cycle. Awful. It happens to everybody. In some I, form, right? Athletes just happen to be on a stage doing it. And so, yes. it, and that's all it is. And so, and I was texting when somebody was talking about one of the linemen from the Cowboys yesterday, and he was, he was making the comment. And he goes, I think he doesn't get the, the, um, the respect he deserves. For the most part, people people expect more out of others than they'll ever expect out of themselves. That's a pretty good quote, right? Oh, I always tell people, you know, in leadership, we actually use this a lot, right? We judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. Oh, that guy missed his block. I would never do that. Like, first of all, you're nowhere near the league, right? First of all. Second of all, like this thing's moving at 100 miles an hour with bodies that you don't see every day. Like these are not normal people, right? Like they are special right. and they are gifted. 
And, you know, this is like, yeah, let, I don't know. Why don't you go down and see if you can go hit a car on the street and chase that thing down? Because things are moving fast out there, right? And it, it used to drive me crazy, right? But I also see it in myself. Like, like wow, I, you know, why isn't she listening to me? Like, she should be a better listener for me. And then I'm thinking like, oh, wait a minute. Like, but I, I intend to be a good listener. I mean, I'm not one, but boy, I really got good <laughs> intentions, Corey. I really like to be a good listener. Like, and I mean well. And you know what? Like, I'm, I'm getting better in a lot of ways. So it's like we're justifying our own poor actions. Then boom, we're like, we don't know what other people's intentions are. So the only thing we have is their actions. I can't imagine, Corey, that any of my actions would ever show up poorly. I mean, <laughs> how could that ever like, happen? <laughs> everybody talks that we're like, well, I don't mean, I didn't mean that. Like, yeah. you know, you're being a jerk or ignoring or something. Yeah. And like, right. Yeah. When we, you can do that, especially if you're married. I mean, come on. You have some of those situations. You're like, babe, oh. I didn't mean that. Like, I don't mean to not pay attention to you. I don't mean to do these things. Nobody yeah. means to it. But the fact that you're not thinking about it is reflective of how you value the relationship. And so, for sure. you know, for a lot of guys, it's easy to just go to work. And I'm in that category, but that's why you have the right people. You have the right messaging. You have the, you have to let your wife challenge you. There's a lot of behaviors that you have to allow to affect you to get to the right place, right? The love languages, mm -hmm. right? My wife does not have the same love language that I have the same love language. And so Mine either. Like she, <laughs> you know, she could be sitting next to me and I'm totally content. Gifting doesn't do near as much for me. It's cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, gifts are all right, but it doesn't like blow me up where it does for her. She's sitting there, she's laughing. She's eating lunch right here at the table yeah, yeah. and shaking her head at me. So I, it's like, it takes intention and it takes physical effort for me to go do that. To actually stop everything I'm doing on this computer and actually switch that to a priority and on my task list now, like, hold on now, I actually got to buy Christmas gifts now. And that's, okay, technically that's not a money-making or a revenue-generating behavior, yeah. but, I, but I promise you that is a, a marriage value generator. Sure. <laughs> right. Cause I, I've had times where I've knocked it all out of the way and I'm like, sweet, like I did my homework and, you know, so now I'm not like rushing at the week of and afraid of what the teacher's going to yell at me about. And so anyway, it's, it's a huge piece. And so you, you got to be willing to jump into that. Let's talk, let's come back to you and talk about persevering through this, like not at a university of Michigan, not at the highest limelight, but people seeing your value, getting a chance, uh, recognizing the impact you made with those coaches who were willing to put their name on it for, right? I, I like to tell a lot of people, listen, it's not who you know. It's who knows you. And those coaches knew Corey Proctor as a reputable man, hard worker, will do the job and will not hurt you. He will be an adder to your organization and to your clubhouse. And how do they know you? That's what I have to ask people all the time. Do they know you or they know you as the scum guy, right? Like, right. They know you as a guy who stands still and doesn't do his work and drinks too much. And, you know, probably has a couple interactions, says some things to the clients they shouldn't probably say. And like, how do they know you is a big deal. But when I say that, I'd, I'd ask you, Corey, what's the superpower that you think separated you from others and catapulted you to that level that helped you kind of get into that ultimate success there and drives you today. Need to hydrate but tired of plain old water? You need rebellious infusions. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. 10 organic flavors and convenient liquid packets. Just add 16 ounces and you are on your way. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. 
Thank you for listening to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast. Trent, together with the leaders who shared their learning and experiences through this show, are grateful for allowing them to help and support you on your journey to becoming your best. Write a review, rate us five stars, and share this episode to your network.